Please bow your heads and pray with me. Guide us, O God, by your light and in your truth, that we may find freedom and discover peace in your will through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. The scripture today from Luke 24 comes from Jesus on the road to Emmaus. This is the day of his resurrection, Easter Day. And uh, two people are walking along, Jesus joins them, and then they, they don't seem to understand what's going on. So it says, Jesus goes back with Moses and the prophets, that's their way of saying the Old Testament. He goes back and starts to spell out how all these things had to take place, and all the Old Testament was about him. And this is one of those places in the Bible where I wish we had some details. I wish we knew what Jesus said and what scriptures he went to, but but what is clear from this scripture is that in Jesus' eyes, the whole Bible was about him. That it somehow fits together. The Bible is 66 books written over about 1,500 years by something like 40 authors um, and others that compiled and edited. And yet Jesus sees it as one big thing with him as the center. And the church has often talked about the Bible as one big story. My teacher, Dr. Leonard Sweets, has said before to me that if he was going to have people join a church, if he was still pastoring a church and people were going to join his church, his one requirement for joining the church was that you would have to tell the entire story of the Bible in 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Now, 10 minutes isn't so long that you have to tell like all of the stories, right? There's thousands of stories in there. But it's short enough that you have to be concise in knowing how all these pieces fit together. For our confirmation class uh, that are joining the church, my, I have them prepping to do seven to eight minutes. They have to do the whole Bible story in seven to eight minutes. Now, they're nervous about this. I've tried to tell them there's no way I'm going to fail them. You know what I mean? Like, I want them to join the church, and I'm going to let them bring notes so they can make whatever notes they want and tell me, and then I'll even ask questions if I need to get a little deeper to add a little bit more time. It's, it's passable. It's not bad. But we've been working. We've been talking about the whole story of the Bible. Here's my question for you all. How would you do? How would you do? Could you put together the whole Bible and understand it? Because here's the problem. If you can't do that, it makes your Bible reading a whole lot harder, okay? Because if I know where I am in this big story, I can figure out where I'm at and a lot of information about the story I'm reading much quicker. It's like I remember being in Disney World with my kids a few years ago. And uh, if you've ever been in Disney World, every day, your first day in any park, you basically, you do, you just have to figure out where you're going. <laughs> like that's the whole day. And you have a map. But you might as well not have a map. It is ridiculous to try to find your way around. Except there are these boards with maps everywhere. Okay? And uh, if you find one of these boards, it has the map. It's the same map you're looking at, except it has one extra little piece. 
You are here. That's right. And once I figure out where I am, and then I can say, oh, there's where I am. Pirates of the Caribbean is down this way, right? I can figure it out once I know where I am. If you understand the whole story of the Bible, what it allows you to do is say, okay, I'm here. And when I'm with the kings, I know where I'm at. And if I'm reading Paul, I know where I'm at in that story. And so today, what I'm going to try to do, and I'm going to time myself here, okay? I'm going to try, um, let's see, stopwatch, there it is. I'm going to try to do the whole story of the Bible, and I'm giving myself 12 minutes, okay? Now, to help you out, there is an insert in your bulletin. Everybody see it? If you're very visually oriented, there'll be pictures at the top, and those pictures should be on the screen. If you're one of those people that like Excel spreadsheets, there's a spreadsheet for you. I'm not going to go into all those details. I can't possibly do that in 12 minutes. But what I want to do is try to put together the whole entire Bible for you as one big story in these 13 epics. Okay? Everybody ready? Go. In the beginning, God created the world. It was good, and he put human beings at the head of creation to continue his work of creating and ordering. But right away, a problem arises. Rather than trusting in God's word and God's view of good and evil, human beings rebel and choose disobedience. They sin, meaning they miss God's mark. And humanity is then separated from God. And if you go back in the book of Genesis, what you find is it gets worse and worse. In the next generation, there's a murder. King kills Abel. Go a few generations later, it gets so bad, there's a flood. And then there's the Tower of Babel. It keeps getting worse and worse, and the problem of the entire Bible is set up in those first few chapters. How, are human, how is humanity going to fix this problem? How is this sin problem going to bring God? How is God and the people going to get back on track despite this sin problem? But God is not done with humanity. Beginning with a man named Abraham, God starts this new rescue plan. He makes this fatherless man the father of a great nation that will be a blessing to the world. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob's name is then turned into Israel. So that's where the nation of Israel gets its name from. Those are called the patriarchs, the fathers. And it's a family. It starts out as a family that God pulls apart. Jacob has 12 sons that later become known as the 12 tribes of Israel. He has one son in particular named Joseph, who he gives a technicolored dream coat to. You remember this story? Okay. Joseph ends up in Egypt, but it's through Egypt that then the people are saved from a massive drought. The family is not perfect. If you read those stories, they're really not perfect. Yet still, God works through them. While in Egypt, Pharaoh comes to power... A pharaoh comes to power that does not know the story of this family and feels threatened by their growing numbers. He puts them under the burden of slavery. He even um, kills their firstborn male children for a while to make sure that they can't have more children. But a man named Moses is spared and leads the people into an exodus, a, a getting out of slavery, breaking these chains. They go out into the wilderness but they're still thinking like they were in Egypt. They have to sort of reset their relationship with God. And so for 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness. They get the law. They get methods of worship. They build a tabernacle. 
And they end up starting to fix this problem of, can we live rightly with God? But still, they're not perfect. After 40 years, Joshua leads the people in their conquest of the land. Many of their victories are miraculous acts of God on their behalf. And finally, they gain the land that was promised way back to that patriarch Abraham. They start to live less like a family, and by now they're more like tribes. Okay? They're like a bunch of little tribes that have little, land, little lands divided among them. But the problem is they still will not listen to God. And they still won't win their land completely back. Their flaws and their sin keeps them at a loss with God. And each generation that lives as the tribes in this land that they conquest, the people do what is right in their own eyes. God uses other nations to push them around and conquer them until they repent. And once they repent, God sends what he, what's called in the Bible a judge to lead them against their oppressors. So there's this cycle. Sin, discipline, repentance, and judge and freedom. Uh, or deliverance, you might say. You might remember some of these characters from Sunday school. Gideon, Samson, and Deborah. So they lead them out of freedom. They get them to freedom. And then what happens to the next generation? The same thing. The next generation does what's right in their own eyes. See this sin cycle? This sin problem? We just can't seem to get over it. Every generation finds its own new ways to do it. Still God sends judges. Still God's works, God works. And when the people decide that what they really need is a king. All the other nations have kings. We need a king. And God, through the, the prophet Samuel, says, no, you don't want a king. You don't want a king. You're not going to like a king. A king's going to push you around. A king's going to demand stuff of you. But still, they want a king. So God graciously gives them this king that he doesn't think they should get. They get a man named Saul, who's a good king at first, but not very long. And then they get the perfect king, David, who makes Jerusalem his capital. Then his son Solomon builds a temple. So instead of having a mobile tabernacle, now we have one place where God's presence is, where he can be worshipped. Suddenly this, this family that were tribes now starts acting like a nation. He's bringing these people together. But what do you think the problem's going to be? Sin. Again, sin. Instead of staying as one nation after Solomon, the nation divides. And you get the northern kingdom, confusedly sometimes in the Bible, called Israel, and the, the southern part called Judah. And so they don't live as one people. They can't keep it together. And if you've been reading the story from the beginning, you're getting a little frustrated with them, right? How come you guys can't pull it together how come you guys keep finding new ways to mess this up? Some kings like Josiah follow God, but many like Ahab do not. And here's the problem. A divided nation is a weaker nation. And it's not a good time to be a weak nation because Israel is this major trade route. Okay? Israel is this land bridge between Europe and Asia and Africa. So all kinds of trade came through there. And any power that was any kind of power in that region needed to control that land. And so first, the Babylonians came. In that northern kingdom, in 721 B.C., Samaria, its capital falls to the Babylonians. 
Then in 586 BC, Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, falls, and, and the temple is destroyed. Israel is le- Jerusalem is left in ruin. Many are killed. Many more are taken from their homes and sent into exile throughout the empires. All of the promised land, the promised people, the worship, everything that we have had that was hopeful in the story so far is lost. We have trouble understanding how hopeless this moment was. These people cannot get past their sin. But still God is gracious. The people are allowed to return under the Persian Empire in 538 B.C. You can read about these two guys named Ezra and Nehemiah that helped build Jerusalem back together. Nehemiah working on the walls so you could defend the land. Uh, Ezra working on the temple and on the worship. This should have been a great moment. But here's the problem they're still not totally free. Still the Persians push them around. And the prophets still have all these questions. You get these these people called prophets revealing messages from the Lord in the Old Testament, and they're wondering, what happened? How did we get into exile, and how do we avoid this happening in the future? Then we get a period of Bible history that is not in the Bible. 400 years of silence. In our Protestant Bible, we have no books that represent this. If you read a a Catholic or Orthodox Bible, they'll have some other books that come from this time period. Um, The Greeks take over for a while from the Persians, and then the Romans take over from the Greeks. And so still, centuries later, Israel is not completely free. But I thought we were the chosen people. But I thought God was with us. During this time, the Maccabees family leads a revolt, which ultimately fails. And Jewish groups like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots form as people try to understand how to be right with God, and they disagree about how they should relate to their oppressors. You know what really develops in this time that's important for Jesus particularly? Is they start expecting a Messiah. They start talking about who is this Messiah and what is this Messiah going to do and what is this Messiah going to be like, but they don't totally agree on that. Then we enter the New Testament, particularly the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus. So here's what's happened. The Old Testament has showed us exactly how bad humanity is, and for everything, humanity cannot get it put together. But when Jesus comes, he answers all of that. He becomes flesh. And so this gap between God and humanity that we have seen just continue to be there, but not for the grace of God, it would have been worse. All of a sudden, in the person of Jesus, there's fully God, fully human right there. He lives the life we couldn't, dies the death we deserve, and then rises to defeat sin and death fully. All that was wrong in humanity is right in Christ, and all that is wrong in humanity is destroyed on the cross. But then, in a shock, Jesus leaves. He goes, and he has ascended, and his followers are left to wonder, what do we do from here? I still feel kind of sinful. I still feel kind of doubtful. I still feel like I have a lot of questions. The answer is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, comes, and the church is born. The Holy Spirit came to all believers and gave them courage and ability to spread the good news. People are starting then to learn how to live the life 
that we saw over and over again in the previous chapters of this story, they couldn't do. But this good news doesn't just stop with the church. The church goes global as its communities gets into missions. Paul is the driver, but certainly the disciples and others like Timothy follow him. And, and along the way, they start really exploring the implications of this gospel. What happened that these now promises of Abraham's people and this blessing to be the, among the nations is happening because of Jesus? The Bible looks ahead to a future then. After all, we're still sinning. The world is not as it should be, and God is faithful to finish the work that was finished on the cross. Jesus will return, judge, rule, and make all things new. That eventually, we believe, all these sin problems will be answered. All God's promises will come true, and he will make everything right and new. And stop. 11 minutes, 37 seconds. I did it. Now, now, now really, we could do a lot more with that, right? I mean, I, I mentioned Abraham for about four seconds. Okay? There's lots of chapters on Abraham. Okay? There's multiple books on the kings. Okay? But if you can get this big picture, and I would encourage you to keep that page, stick it in your Bible, because I think it's helpful to understand, here I am, here I am in this story, and I can start to expect what's going on, can provide a framework onto which to hang all these other ideas and stories. Okay? I, I talk to a lot of people that say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. Well, do you understand the big picture? Do you have the framework? Because if you have the framework, then the little stories can make a lot more sense. And it's important to understand this bigger story because it's our story. Okay? We're not here to beat up on Israel because that's my story. It's my story is the struggle of trying to figure out how to live this life. And gosh darn it, I keep sinning, Right? And I still have flaws, and I still make mistakes. We try, we fail. For everything we get right, we get things wrong or fail to do other right things. And here in the big story of the Bible, we find the important thing. The theme that we've been working on for this worship service. That where we are not faithful, God is faithful. Where we are not faithful, God is faithful. We have a word for that. It's called grace. It's called grace. This is a story of grace where we sin, God becomes sin and takes the punishment of sin. That Jesus loves you even though you mess up. And God continues to use and share his love and faithfulness to the world. After all, he always planned to use people. And in this story, he's constantly using people. So we need to be people of this story finding our place in the narrative. This is an ongoing story. You understand that? We're still looking forward to the conclusion of it, which means we're in it. You're an actor in this story. So when I talk to the youth about this sermon, I want to talk to you about, uh, they had a lot of different ideas. I asked them, what do you want people in this church to hear? And to know and to think about. Think about your grandparents and your parents for a minute. And here's some of their ideas. Jesus always loves you. Be thankful for what you have. That too often God is not our priority. We don't think of him for a lot of stuff. We get distracted. 
So they were wondering how to not take God for granted. How to pray. How to learn to have conversation with God. How things change and how God sticks with us through those changes. Heavy stuff from our youth. Heavy stuff from our youth. And here's what I want to say. Uh, Youth get a bad rap. And uh, it's, it's because of my generation. And I apologize the Generation X is we didn't want to think about stuff and we didn't want to listen, so that was our fault. Here's what I find with, actually, with young people today. If you actually talk to them, they are interested. They will listen. What they have a very, an impatience for is when you're not authentic. Yeah, that's what young people don't want. They don't want you to pretend church. Don't play faith. Don't talk like it's important and then not live it. And maybe it's our turn to look to some of our youth to learn some of these lessons, right? To learn how to be authentic, to discover the church again. So, challenge number one, see if you can learn how to tell this story. And there's other ways I could have told this story. I told it to you very chronologically. Um, But could you tell the story of the Bible? Do you know it that well? And when you know that story, here's, here's what I'll end with. I believe you can trust this story with your lives. I believe you can trust this story with your lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.